Hi everyone, I'm Tara. Hi, I'm Michelle. Welcome back to Books and Beyond with Bound, season 2 which is our quarantine edition. So we're at over 32k downloads now and we could not be more grateful for your support. And on this episode we have another very special guest, Uday and Mukherjee. So he's written this book called Essential Items, which is I think the first book to be published about the pandemic. It's a collection of short stories and it is going to take you on a roller coaster ride to all of these thoughts and emotions because it covers so many different characters from a migrant worker who's going home from the city to his village to a funeral custodian to an old couple that has to rely on a volunteer service for their medicines and many many more. Yeah, Tara, I loved the characters and we wanted to speak to him because to know how he managed to write such different characters and what I also liked about our conversation is that I have been resisting writing about the pandemic for a long time. Uh I thought it's not cool to do so, but after talking to you then, I've realized that, you know, you should just be natural, be yourself and go for it. So talking to him and reading his book really gave me that courage. So I think now I will end up writing about the pandemic. He's such a fascinating person because he's had this long career and now he lives in the hills. It's a dream, right, for writers to go live in a hill on a hill. Seriously, um, bliss. <laughs> and also, you know, he wrote it so fast. And a fun fact for you guys, I actually copy edited the book for Bloomsbury. So I got it around June, and I was stunned by how fast he had managed to put. This, I would say, a classic of pandemic literature together. So we find out about all of this and much more on this episode. So let's begin. Hi, Uday, and welcome to our podcast. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Tara. It's a pleasure talking to you today, and thank you very much for having me on your podcast. No, we're super excited that you're here today. Uh, I love the book so much, and you know, I'm sure all of our listeners who pick it up will as well. So, could you tell our listeners a little bit about? your book essential items and how did the idea of the book come about you know actually i started writing the book in the first week of april and this was if as you will remember uh, just a couple of weeks uh, into the national lockdown in mumbai uh, the lockdown actually started a bit before it started nationally so, you know it was such a strange time that you you could not go out of the house you could not do anything and your normal life had been disrupted quite completely because i was in the same boat as you or michelle or anybody else it was very discomforting to realize at that point that your concentration was affected you know you when you were reading a novel you could not read beyond a few pages if you started to write or you were writing something your mind would go off in all directions and you were not able to focus and produce good work uh, and you know you know that actually was the starting point of the realization that maybe this reading and writing business will not work because something had fundamentally changed and i realized in early april that the only way i was going to get any kind of writing work done was if i actually started to channelize the anxieties of what i was feeling into my writing process and i had lots of doubts because you know you were just two weeks into a crisis of this magnitude I have a history of being a journalist but what I was trying to produce was not a work of journalism or actually writing factually about what was going around around me but the moment I started and put some words on paper it was clear to me that I could actually concentrate and write about only what was happening around me and I think that was the genesis of this project 
um, you know, early in April. I didn't even know what was happening. I had never even heard of the term pandemic. And I think I was just in denial. What about you, Tara? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, Odeyan, you know, um, that you actually, you know, you mentioned that it was very difficult to do anything and in terms of productivity. And then you actually managed to, you know, write this whole book. And I remember it coming to me in June already. And I was so amazed that you did this so fast. So how did you get yourself to write the book, you know, in such a short period of time? What was your routine like? You know, uh, I wrote the book in about three months flat. Uh, I know the lockdown put us all in the same bucket. But the fact that I write quite quickly, I mean, this is my third book in three years. I mean, there is a school of thought that good books or books of fiction, thoughtful fiction should take longer to produce. I have a little bit of disagreement because this is seen out of context. So most writers, uh, writers I know are doing many other things. They're writing columns. They're holding Uh, newspaper jobs, they're holding editing jobs down. And they find three or four hours in the morning or the evening to work on their book. My life is different. I have left all my professional obligations behind. I've walked out on a two decade career in in television. And I have nothing to do. As I keep telling people, I'm the least busy person in the world. I have nothing to do but write. And when I get immersed in a novel, I'm pretty much writing all the time. I mean, I'm writing in the morning, I'm writing in the afternoon, sometimes I mean, if the fancy takes me, I write in the evening. And it also helps, while I could not do it during this lockdown, that I spend a large part of the year, at least the last few few years have been like that. I've spent a large part of my time of the year living in a remote village in the Himalayas. I mean, I have a house in a village called Sitla in Kumau. That's where I spent, or at least in the last few years, have spent at least half the year. And, you know, when you're in the mountains, there's nobody to meet. There is no distraction. There's no television. There are no friends to meet, no socializing, no professional obligations. You know, one day seems like a monstrous amount, uh, a humongous amount of time. And therefore, when people say, how could you do it in X number of months? I tell them that six months for me and six months for you are not the same. And the other issue is the the size of my books. You know, sometimes authors write tomes. I mean, I admire them, but my books are not very, they're not tomes. Uh, You know, the average size of the book is probably 60,000 words. So, you know, if you have a writing habit of putting down on a good day, a thousand words over three months or 100 days, let's say, you can write 100,000 words. Now, every day cannot produce a 1,000 words and there is a lot of editing and cutting and chopping. But still, you can finish a book in three or three or four months if you put your mind to it. And this was exceptional uh, as a time because you were doing nothing but writing. Even if you wanted to, you could not do anything else. I mean, I shudder to think what I would have done had I not got into that project, you know, because I had nothing else to do. I would sit at home, I mean, stare at my wife, my wife would stare back at me and we would look at the walls and time would pass month after month after month. So, you know, it was very helpful for me, for my mental sanity that I had that project to immerse myself into. And once you write, I mean, all of you would know that time passes. I mean, one day fuses into another, into another. And before you know it, a month is gone, a week is gone. And, um, I think I am still sane despite all that 
everyone has endured because I wrote essential items over those months. Yeah, I think I think writing keeps anybody sane, especially it definitely works for me. I have been able to cope with the really difficult times only through writing. And whatever you said about, uh, you know, the place that you live in, Udayan, it is a bliss for every writer. I mean, I'm so envious right now. I mean, every writer hopes to get that space, that time to write. So I, I'm really glad that, um, you know, it worked out for you. So if we talk about uh, the characters in your book, Udayan, they are so diverse, like your short stories traverse time, geographies, class, gender, so many things. So how did you go about creating these interesting characters? You know, Michelle, this was uh, not accidental. This was deliberate. You know, the one way I could work on a piece of fiction was to say, this is what I know, this is my world, and this is what I understand, which is an urban milieu, urban people, people with jobs, people who have anxieties about pay cuts, losing their jobs, etc., etc., family life in the urban metropolis, and all of these things. But, you know, fiction has to be a bit beyond that. The point about this lockdown was that while everybody, all of us were inconvenienced, we felt some discomfort uh, and some anxiety. The thing to realize was that most of us actually probably were in a position of great privilege and our inconveniences were very marginal if you saw it in perspective with what other people were going through. So I, when I wrote those stories, I thought, let me sur- try and surprise the reader a little bit. You know, let me try and take her on a kind of a journey that, you know, you think you have problems. Look at what is going on with these funeral workers in Benares. Look at this worker who's just come back home from a place in, on, in, a, in a cafe in Gujarat where he used to work. And he's come back to his village town in Uttarakhand. And look what he's going through. But look at this domestic help who doesn't know whether she has got a job when she goes back when the pandemic is over and the insecurity of that and the anxiety she's going through. So basically, the compilation was an invitation to step out of your cocoon and to try and empathize with what other people were feeling. Because, you know, all too easily, we think of the world as the few people which surround us. I was trying to tell people, look, there are worlds and worlds and worlds which are so different from what you know, know of or understand or can even understand the depth of the plight of. So therefore, the sequencing of the stories, you start with a funeral ghat in Benares, you move to a chawl in Bombay where a domestic help is feeling those insecurities and then you're yanked away to a hill town in, in uh, the Indochina border where a British climber has been stranded. And then just when you're beginning to feel that these are all esoteric lands, you're brought back to your own uh, urban milieu where a few people have organized a, 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 a terrace party and their their preoccupations are completely different from what you've read in the first three stories. So I think there was a little element of surprise, even shock, which I wanted to bring to the audience. You know, that's one of the uh, things that when I was reading the book, I was amazed and I kept asking myself again and again, you know, how did he do it? Because your book, as you said, you know, goes into the heads of those of migrant workers. It goes into the heads of this aristocratic Bengali family. I mean, you go all across the country and it was so, so fascinating. How did you create all of these characters with so much empathy? It was almost like, you know, you knew what all of these different kinds of people across different classes were feeling. Was there any research or had you, um, you know, experienced sort of um, narratives like these in your lifetime? How did you go about portraying so much empathy? 
Yeah, and and especially the migrant workers because I felt like you know their life is completely different from ours. I used to have a fairly uh, routine kind of and very hectic kind of life uh, till the age of about forty, forty-one, which is about six, seven years back, uh, which was basically a a studio anchor and editor of a uh, television channel. Over the last six years, since I left my job in Bombay. I immediately went out uh, to the Himalayas and built a house for myself. This took a good part. I stood there and got the house built practically. This took the better part of about a year and a half. Then I said, if I'm going to live in the mountains uh, in a village, I might as well have something to do out here. During this period, I had completely removed myself from uh, anything urban. I mean, I hardly met people in Bombay or Delhi. I was bumbling around in remote places, meeting. village people in uttarakhand and ladakh whose lives i knew nothing about and then i started living in a village uh, in kumau which probably has all of 12 or 15 houses i mean the entire village and and it must have been very difficult i mean i was just thinking if i had to do that tomorrow my god <laughs> it will be really difficult so you know what was that um, you know phase like what was the transition phase like was it easy for you to gel in that kind of life like have you always been wanting to live that way or you know what was it like i've always loved mountains so i mean that comes naturally to me and i at some corner of my mind i always wanted to spend a very meaningful time in the mountains before i got to old you know as i look back onto that phase i think it was one of the best things or the best phases of my life i mean to have not a care in the world no one to report to no work no routine you know i had the freedom of my days i mean i could wake up in the morning and say today i will just spend work spend the whole day at the site have my lunch with the workers who are building a uh, building one of the cottages and i'll just walk around and if i feel like it i'll open a book and i'll read in the sun and there is no one to answer to uh, so you know it, it was so it was so liberating in a sense uh, from a the kind of regimented life which i had in bombay but i must warn since you said was it difficult there are difficulties of being in the mountains i mean you cannot suddenly uh, have access to the kind of things that you take for granted in bombay like great food great ingredients and food is so fundamental i mean it seems like a uh like i'm being facetious or it's a trivial thing but when you are in the mountains you understand or realize the importance of how much food means in our lives and mountains can be are very beautiful but they can be lonely places i mean you go through a month without meeting a single soul and sometimes the prospect of meeting friends for a drink seems very attractive uh, you know that by the third day you would get bored of it but that one time it feels like it is the most urgent thing to do but um, I mean, a new film is released. You hear about it or read reviews on the internet, and then you say, "Oh gosh, if I was in Bombay, I could just have hopped across to the PVR and seen that movie on a screen." <laughs> yeah, it's a completely different life. Yeah. So you were saying that you know because of all these experiences that you've had, um, that you were then able to bring that insight into all of these diverse characters that you created. But you know, when you were writing, did you ever worry that will I be able to do these characters justice? Actually, my real interest in people lies in the people that I have written about. I don't find, you know, for twenty years I inhabited the stock market. i find stock market people i'm sorry my apologies to them deathly boring you know they, they you know i i find bankers and brokers and you know these people very boring they have very limited interest they're always talking about money how to make the next deal 
you know, I, I feel like tearing my hair out. But give me a person in the mountains, oh, I mean, a sh- who owns a shop, chai shop out there, and tells, sits and tells me stories about the kind of people he's been meeting for the last few weeks. I'd be delighted. You get me a forest ranger in the Jim Corbett forest who tells about how elephants come at night. You know, these are the kind of people I, I actually want to spend time with. And therefore, what I write about is not greatly difficult for me or it doesn't take a leap of imagination because these are the very people that I've been spending a lot of time with. In a sense, this is the material that I've gathered over the last five or six years. Uh, and I also play safe. I mean, if you look at the 10 stories, what are my milieus or what are the geographical locations? Some is Bombay, some is Uttarakhand, which I, I mean, two stories are based in the mountains. Some is Kolkata, where I was born. Uh, you know, basically, I am playing within the areas that I have spent significant time in. And I don't want to go out on a limb and write about places and people which would seem inauthentic. And I'm playing to, I mean, to my strengths, the things I understand, the places I know, and uh, the people that I am, I'm quite familiar with. So you really are writing what you know. Uh, well, I try to. I, I don't want people to write back and say, this actually, you know, did not feel like you know what you're writing about. As a relatively new writer, you're always cognizant of that risk. That, uh, I mean, uh, to use a cricketing analogy, when you're starting your innings, you don't want to play too many shots or adventurous shots because the chances of getting out are very high. You want to play in a small zone and play the shots that you understand. That is that is such an interesting analogy. I just wish I got that. <laughs> I don't know anything about cricket, but I could totally relate when you said that you absolutely hate, uh, you know, the you know, financial world. I mean, I was in commerce and I'm sure even Tara has had a similar background, but I absolutely hated that world. Like it was so dry. It was so money-minded. And, you know, just talking to creatives and being immersed in this world of books is like, you know, living my dream. So I can I can just imagine how it feels, you know, to actually have that space and to have that freedom to explore um, your imagination. So um, Udayan, if we, uh, you know, talk about... Uh, the influences that have, uh, you know, uh, your influences in your writing journey. So we read that uh, your brother is Neil Mukherjee and we know that he also writes. So what is the relationship like with him? Do you all exchange drafts or, you know, were your parents readers too? You know, we come from Calcutta where people read a lot. Now, you you said that my brother is Neil and he also writes. I would like to rephrase that a bit. I think Neil is my brother and I also write. I mean, uh, in the family, he's a very established author and in quite a different league. Uh, he's, he, his work is inspiring for me, but I can't claim to be in the same league at least yet. I mean, I've just started off and I have a long way to go uh, for to be mentioned in the same breath as him. But we have no connection in our writing. I mean, he lives in London. I live in the mountains or in Bombay. And we don't talk about our writing to each other at all. In fact, Neil came to know of, the, uh, know of this book one day before publication. He had no idea that I was writing a book, that I had written a book, that it had a publisher. So there is no question of comparing notes or exchanging drafts or having discussions about my books or his books. He doesn't talk to me about his books. Uh, When they are out, he sends me a copy and uh, I'm delighted to receive it. And uh, the same thing is with me that uh, I don't inform him. I I actually don't talk about my books at all till they are out in the market. My friends don't know it. 
relatives, nobody. I sit quietly and I write. And uh, of one day or two days before publication, I mention to my friends or other people. I'm also not on any, any social media or anything like that. I don't even possess a smartphone. Wow. Every new book of yours would have come as a surprise. Like, oh, here's another one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and your, your book is one of the first books that actually covers the pandemic. And I'm sure that, you know, we'll be seeing a lot of books using the pandemic as a backdrop. Um, and, you know, uh, maybe 50 years down the line, you know, your book could become a classic because it really is chronicling the lives of people affected by this pandemic today. So what do you think about, you know, other writers portraying the pandemic? Well, about the classic bit from your lips to God's ears. Uh, I, <laughs> I hope you're right. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it should not surprise us because it is one of the most uh, momentous events, uh, the biggest crisis of our lifetimes. Uh, and, you know, while fiction is fiction, it also speaks to life. I mean, think of the wars. I mean, you know, the World War One, Two. I mean, how much fiction, how much art it produced of every kind, film, books, um, music, uh, paintings, huge crises actually spark off a lot of a wave of uh, creativity and a wave of even fiction writing. So I, I know of people who actually would turn their nose up at the fact that, oh, come on, you're writing about the pandemic. I would uh, humbly submit to readers that that should not be their attitude to uh, pandemic art at all because that was going to be one of our questions too <laughs> why not write about the pandemic you know uh, i think a lot of people believe that art and journalism should be separate i mean you cannot start uh, writing fiction about something which is surrounding us on on a such a daily and real basis right now and therefore fiction if at all should be dealt with much later after the pandemic is passed in almost as if on hindsight I mean, that's one point of view. I don't necessarily, I obviously don't agree with it, but that's all right. I mean, everyone is entitled to their opinion. But as far as the question on whether there should be fiction writing about this pandemic, I think there should absolutely be. I fully expect, not just in India, but across the world, lots of books to be written of, with various themes, various level, levels of uh, adherence to the reality on the ground. Uh, so uh, the good thing about Bloomsbury turning this book around so quickly is that one doesn't wish to be the 11th book out on the pandemic. You know, somebody saying, moaning and saying, oh gosh, don't give me another pandemic book. I've already gone through 11 of them. I didn't want to be that. But at the end of it, I mean, like it happened with literature of the wars, the good will stand out and the bad will fall off. So there will be a process of sifting. Uh, not all literature about the pandemic will endure the test of time. And uh, some will stand out. And uh, of course, I hope that mine will be one in that list. I, I really like how you just grabbed the opportunity and wrote about something that bothered you. And that's something you've even mentioned about your first book. You said, unless something bothers a writer, uh, you know, they shouldn't write about it unless they're emotionally invested. And I really liked that. Um, so may I ask which story out of all the stories in the book was the most challenging to you and why? Oof, that's a really tough one. I'll actually, I mean, you asked challenging. I was going to answer what is uh, your favorite. <laughs> we can tell our favorite. So my personal favorite uh, from the book, Udayan, was the story about the dorm. So Kalu, uh, you know, because I was like, 
I had never been exposed to, you know, anything of that sort before. And maybe, you know, because I'm a city dweller and all of those things. But, you know, the way that, you know, the tactics that they use to get more money out of such a dire situation, which is death, was really jarring and fascinating for me. Yeah. And I was reminded of the movie Masan because that was the first time I had really seen what this life was like. But again, it's very distant, you know, it's like the cinema or art. But through your story, I was really taken there. I felt like I was like standing right there and witnessing it. You know, uh, it's it's also one of my favorite stories. I mean, I'm glad both of you liked it. Other than the uniqueness of the setting, the other thing which I was trying to do is to invest in that character of Kaldu because he's got this sardonic wit and, you know, it's almost like black humor. I mean, if you think of the kind of the way he speaks, you know, some people might be, think that how would a person who's not educated, who's not sophisticated, who's essentially a, a, a funeral worker from the time he was, he, he was a young lad, how does he have this razor sharp wit? Because you can feel in that character that he's actually very quick witted. And the way he actually goes about those mild cons it would make a city scamster proud. You know, I mean, he's, he's so quick-witted. And the challenge in that story was to actually make sure that that humor was authentic in Kallu. But to get back to your question on what was the most challenging story, I think this one story which I hope readers read well, because it can be read at two levels. It can be misconstrued or read simply as a story on the surface of a lot of returning migrant workers arriving at the doorstep of an old palace in Kolkata, Rajbari, and seeking shelter. But I think it is also the, probably the most political of the stories in this collection. But actually, I'm trying to, uh, in my head, talk about the feudal aspect of our society. And it is also a critique of how people in the position of wealth and power wronged a lot of the people during the lockdown. I, I actually felt very, very angry about a lot of the things which happened with workers during the lockdown and the ham-handed way in which was it was implemented. That's why I call this a challenging story because if you read it purely on the surface, it can come across as a fairly sugary kind of a uh, 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 depiction because of the voice of the naive and sentimental uh, retainer who's the voice of the story. So if you just read it like that, it can seem one way, but I hope people realize that actually it is, it can be read at a slightly deeper level. I hope I managed to convey what I'm trying to say. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the political nature of, and even your anger, you know, about the plight of some of the people who suffered the most in the lockdown did come across. And, you know, both Michelle and I thought that the amount of empathy you had, that is really what made the book shine for us yeah so you know as you mentioned you also worked as a journalist for many many years in the newsroom so how did that training help you or did it help you in any way or does it help you when you write fiction it helps in the way that i have to do a lot of unlearning of that time uh, uh, i mean what is a television anchor's job in a live situation in a live financial market situation you have to be quick off the cuff you have to react quickly to situations. You have to analyze situations very quickly. And this is exactly the opposite of what you need to be doing when you're writing fiction. There is no hurry would destroy fiction. 
I mean, I mean, strange coming from someone who's written a book quite quickly. But you know, if you are trying to access levels in people or situations, and you jump to conclusions too quickly, chances are you're going to come across as a really poor writer. I also had a career as a column writer in newspapers like Indian Express and Hindustan Times uh, for some time. I got bored of that fairly quickly as well because you know how much can you say on this one thousand word pieces after all? Uh, but that teaches you that fiction writing is a different game. It is not about fastest finger first. It is not about being trigger happy on the buzzer. It is not about condensing every thought. but sometimes unpacking your thoughts uh you know so uh, the only thing which i think might be of some use is that you learn to be uh, or learn, learn to cultivate a certain kind of economy in expressing your thoughts you don't want to be spraying around words needlessly or using too many unnecessary words in describing your stories i mean people have told me that by writing is very spare and that's by intent it's not that one cannot write a few ornate sentences if one chooses to and i think very deep emotions can be conveyed through very simple sentences i want my work not to be so dense or so flowery that it cannot be accessed i know a lot of people believe that the two do not sit well together literary writing and being too accessible or being too spare Uh, or too spartan in your prose but i can think of enough instances of writing where the two actually coexist some of the american masters they are inspirations for me is is raymond carver one of them uh, raymond carver is 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 not just an inspiration he's one of the gods of short story writing you know it seems almost like a uh, an act of arrogance to say that you are following in Car- carver's footsteps because carver is a master he's a genius is he using a lots of adjectives and adverbs and very flowery words and convoluted sentences no his writing is stripped to the bone but in six pages he will convey what many novelists can cannot convey in 200 pages i mean there are many other writers like that i mean john cheever is like that uh, if you have read akhil sharma yeah akhil sharma is one of my favorite authors i absolutely adore his short stories if you asked me would you take 10000 very literary minded people reading this book and understanding the depth of what you're trying to convey or would you take 50000 people of various intellectual levels who write the book and appreciate it at various levels i would actually take the lot uh, latter and i want everyone i mean as many people as possible to read these books it is inevitable that all the stories will not appeal to anybody uh, or to everybody but if you empathize with some sets of people you understand some of the situations that have been spoken about then i would consider my job done so which is the story that was closest to your heart from a sentimental point of view i would say uh, the third story border town which is the little boy who found, finds uh, forms a friendship with this english traveler who's trapped out there but throughout the writing of that story i felt a kind of tenderness about those two characters uh, you know both of them know uh, that it is only a bond of a few weeks it will pass and finally people will go their own ways but yet there is a superficial yet very deep bond which is formed and that is a story where also it is a very political story because it is about the notion of foreignness 
about people turning inward at a time of crisis because actually the opposite happens a very provincial village family helps out a foreigner from overseas a 7 or 8 year old boy actually shields him from the narrow mindedness of village elders so you know all of those things actually filled me with a lot of tenderness when it actually i mean i am strange to talk about for for a writer to talk about being moved by a story that he was write, he's writing himself <laughs> but i i felt quite moved by while during the writing of the story and the other story which i has stayed with me is the title story essential items which is the very if you remember the elderly couple where the husband is has a terminal illness and a young girl comes to their doorstep every once in a while to deliver medicines and this woman who knows that she will lose her husband in very shortly actually has this great yearning for for affection for company and she tries so desperately and uh, and movingly to form a bond with this young person and eventually only to realize that uh, you know the world actually belongs to the young and very few people uh, have so much time for the elderly uh, it's a story which left me very sad and it still makes me sad when i think about it that was one of my favorites as well <laughs> Yeah yeah and what i really liked about your answer is then usually writers evade that question they don't pick favorites you know but i really liked how honest you were because you know as a writer i also know that there are some stories which are really close to your heart i mean which you just you know you you really almost live those stories you know even though they are uh, about another character and i'm sure uh, readers will also resonate with them in that way so um you know we wanted to know what kind of books are you reading currently uh, in the pandemic and were you reading any books while writing um you know your own book and did they influence you in any way you know the thing is that when i am actually immersed in a writing project i usually find it difficult to read unless i am reading something which is completely different from what i am writing so when i am writing i would usually not read anything written by a contemporary author ever so what kind of what kind of books do you read my tastes are quite literary uh, I, you know uh, i i read literary fiction i don't read non fiction while growing up we our reading tastes were quite tuned to uh, england and over the last few years i have come to realize that because of being born in india and particularly west bengal we actually missed out a lot of the great american fiction right i think yeah all of us you know went through that <laughs> yeah so i yeah this fascination with white writers correct yeah. so i feel a gap uh, you know i and now when i read a lot of i mean you've mentioned carver i read john cheever the great american short story master only recently i'd never read him before recently i've been reading uh, the books of philip roth once again i think he's a he's an absolute master uh, yeah i love his writing i mean i i think he's a he's an underrated writer i keep meaning to pick up one of his books yeah you should you should tara yeah in an interview you said that fiction is something that people expect least of you because you were a journalist so people would expect that you you know you would write uh, something in the non fiction space and also you don't read non fiction are you planning to write a non fiction book or what is your relationship like with non fiction not great and i it's not that i like i never uh, read non fiction but it has to be written in a way which is not uh, forbidding or dense i like reading siddhartha mukherjee's books i mean they're non fiction but they're beautifully written so accessible i mean they you could be talking about cancer or mental illness but 
any lay person could read his books and be completely uh, enchanted by them. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a gift that he has. And I really enjoyed reading his books. So it's not like I will never read nonfiction, but I will almost never read anything which has got to do with the world of finance, for example. It puts me off. I mean, that's a world which I have very little interest in. I am very partial to fiction. Within that, literary fiction. I also read genre fiction. I mean, I read crime fiction. I will read humor. Can you can you give us some recommendations in crime and humor, please? <laughs> because we often talk about literary fiction, but not. I mean, there's not enough uh, conversation that happens around genre fiction. No, you know, uh, I think genre fiction gets a bad rep. I mean, I. It's almost like people say literary fiction is the gold standard. The moment you start talking about genre, you're actually going down the ladder. Not necessarily. I'll give you an example. One of the five great writers in my book is the science fiction author Ursula Le Guin. If I, you were to ask me the top five books of all time that I've read, I would uh, list The Left Hand of Darkness in, in, in there. And I will have a quarrel with someone who thinks that she does not belong in the pantheon of great literary writers. I mean, you just have to read that one book to know that she is just a great writer. She's not a great science fiction writer. She's a great writer, period. I mean, I would dare anyone to say that P.G. Woodhouse is not a great writer. He is a great writer. He's not a great humorist or satirist or whatever you want to call him. Or you could talk about literary fiction, which, is, which are satires. I mean, for that, the Pakistani writer Mohammad Hanif. I mean, you'll read his case of Exploding Mangoes or you read Our Lady of Alice Bhatti. I mean, they're, they make you laugh out aloud. I mean, the satire is so biting and so good. But he is a fantastic writer. Uh, in my book. And while talking about this, I would also say that the same thing is true of novels versus short stories. You know, if you talk to publishers, they will say, okay, are you writing a novel? Please show it to us. Short stories, you know, they're very difficult to push. But I, I think it's wrong because, you know, I think all of us have read Jhumpa Lahiri. It's an exceptional book. I think I think the short story is coming back, you know, because uh, I also work for a literary agency. You know, we get a lot of short story submissions. You know, earlier we would say that, you know, it's too hard to push those. Publishers aren't looking. But I've seen more and more that, you know, there are collections of short stories being published. And another one of the books that I loved, which is set in the hills, is Priyanka Pradhan's book, Tales of the Himalayas. And that's also inspired, you know, by life in the Kumaon Mountains and traverses a whole range of short stories. Again, I think I have an affinity for Hill books because I edited that book too, but I highly, highly recommend. So for if you guys are fans of Ruskin Bond, I'm sure you guys will really enjoy this book. So do check it out. So why did you, uh, you know, because your previous book is a novel and this is a collection of short stories. And why did you choose that for this book? Well, my next book is a novel. So it's not like that I have shifted away from... Oh, what, what is it about? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I don't want to talk too much about it. But it's a, again, it's a, it's a difficult book because it pertains to the very important political issues of our time. I mean, the plight and unfairness to minorities, I think is at the heart of the story. And I'll leave it there because you don't want to talk about a book which is not out and which will be out only in some time. But to come back to your question on short stories, you know, I don't think it is true that short stories don't do well. I mean, you mentioned Akhil Sharma. Akhil Sharma's short story collection did very well. Now, why did I choose short stories as the format for this particular book? I mean, you've read the book. You know, if I wanted to fuse all the themes and people and milieus I was grappling with, then I would have to write 10 novels. I mean, this book could not have been one novel. 
it would have been too contrived. Now, I know that another concept which is popular is connected short stories. Now, okay, I could find some connections. I could say that uh, in the household uh, of the person uh, in essential items, the couple that were living together and we, the story we just spoke about, actually the domestic help belonged to that household. And therefore, the second story in the book about the insecurities of the domestic help is somewhat connected. And the only reason to have done that is to basically start off by saying, I will write a novel and a novel and nothing else but a novel. And therefore, I will convert all my short stories to with some connection or write a novel. And I said, I will not do that. There's a sm- smaller reason is that because I'm irreverent by nature. If you tell me that short stories don't sell and you cannot write a short story, collection, then I will end up writing just that, a short story. Collection. I don't yeah, I identify with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I've done 20 years of towing a line of a career. Now I will not be boxed into uh, some kind of a pigeonhole and be told that you can only do this and nothing else. I want that connect. I want to write fiction. I want to write about people's emotions. And I'd have no interest in writing nonfiction about financial markets because the publisher thinks he can sell 30,000 copies and arrive at a bestseller. Bad luck for them. Through you, I want to tell them, don't ask me that question because I will never yes. apply to you. So yeah, so for everyone who's listening out there, please do not ask Udayan about this anymore. You know, your life is so inspiring, Udayan, because you've had this illustrious career. As you said, now you can afford to, you know, um, do what you really love. So thank you so much for all of your amazing insights. And so now we're going to move on to our last section of the interview, which is a rapid fire round. Um, <laughs> so After all that I told you about not doing rapid fire, this is what you subject me to. <laughs> <laughs> your dream dinner date with a writer. Marilyn Robinson. What do you do to unwind? I would have liked to say, have a drink and stare at the mountains. But after the lockdown, I'm ashamed to confess that it's actually watching Netflix. That I identify with. (laughs) So one way that the lockdown has affected your life. It has curbed my independence of traveling outside India. It's It's something which I cherish very deeply. I've not been able to visit London or any of the great cities of the world. One underrated writer. Have you read somebody called Tobias Wolf, uh, This Boy's Life? No, no. I've been meaning to. I've been uh, meaning to read that. I've heard so much about. It's it. an incredible book. In our country, I don't think too many people have read his work, uh, but I think he's therefore underrated, and I think he's absolutely superb. Where do you write? I write at a desk. If I'm writing in the mountains, the desk and a chair are beautifully placed in front of a massive wall of glass from which I look out straight into a panoramic 180-degree view of the Nanda Devi, the Trishul, and many of the great Himalayan peaks. It, I, I might not be the greatest writer in the world, but I will say that very few writers in the world have a desk and a window like that to be writing from. Wow, you, you must have wow, so yes. <laughs> yes, yes, we want to see. <laughs> and when I'm when I'm writing in Mumbai, I am I live in Kolaba, and I have a small window, uh, not with that panoramic of view. It's a small desk and a chair, but from that desk and the chair, you can see the top dome of the Taj Mahal Hotel. And if you crane your neck, you can see the Gateway of India. Uh, and uh, that's also considering it is Bombay and congested Bombay. It's not the worst of windows to be writing uh, or staring. Yeah, that, that's a good view for Bombay. <laughs> it's definitely not the worst. So do you listen to music when you write? 
no i listen to nothing i i do not like to have any kind of external stimuli when i am focused in fact i feel irritable if there is any kind of noise and sound around me while i am writing okay and the last question how important do you think being on social media is to the success of a writer you're asking somebody who's never possessed a smartphone in his life i still have a very <laughs> old i i only i only have a very old nokia phone uh i am not on i don't i cannot do whatsapp i don't i've never and i will never have a facebook account twitter account instagram account i don't know what how to do all those things and i will never be on social media but then my publishers do and uh, i do interact i do interactions which are forwarded on social media so i would be being dishonest if i said that the books that i write do not benefit from social media for all its practical uh uses i think uh, it's a deep, deeply problematic thing and i will never be able to bring myself to use it i'm sorry if it disappoints you no 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 i agree no. i mean michelle and i both speak about yes. this and we are powerless in front of social media absolutely. you know absolutely you get addicted you know yeah So then uh, that brings us to the end of this interview uh, thank you so much for giving your time i i think michelle and i we both loved uh, speaking to you we loved your insights and big big fan of your book so all our listeners please pick it up thank you very much uh, tara michelle both of you for uh, uh, doing this and the one thing which pains me is to see how small the space for books and writers have become over the last few months and years uh, I mean there was a time where there was so much more space for book reviews author interviews because the writing world uh, does need that space from media and that space has shrunk enormously and I I think it's a great service that you're doing thank you it was so inspiring to talk to him tara because he has such varied life experiences and i'm sure this conversation will inspire writers to move to the mountains to write because <laughs> yeah. it clearly inspires you to write very good literature we 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 all wish right we all wish we could move to the mountains or the beaches yeah. <laughs> all of us who live yeah. in cities well okay so next week uh, we'll be releasing two episodes it's our bonus week because it's diwali Uh, you'll get to know about two writers who love both english and hindi literature we're going to be speaking to tanuj solanki whose book is called the machine is learning and it discusses contemporary workplace and romance like i feel like no other book in india does it so it's super interesting and once again if you haven't read it do check it out and we're also going to be talking to anukriti upadhyay whose novel kinsuki talks about broken characters and how they find themselves throughout the book and it traverses between cultures so we're going to be speaking about this cross cultural exchange um So yes, see you next time. So happy Diwali folks and please let us know what you are reading on Diwali. Definitely you have more time on your hands so if you are reading anything related to the festival or if you know you've just picked up anything because it's the festival mood, please do share it with us. We would love to read them. We are at Bound Podcast and at Bound India on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. See you next time.